Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, hello, sweet listeners, and welcome back to the In the Meadow podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, otherwise known as Vic in the Meadow in all my corners of the internet. I am so pleased to report that as I'm recording this, I am feeling so much better. I ended up being sick for a solid two weeks there and it was rough and I keep hearing everyone saying that they have this weird bug where they feel like they feel better and then suddenly they feel worse than ever before and I feel lucky that it wasn't that weird horrible respiratory virus that's been going around my airways weren't really affected but wow being sick is exhausting and it's so interesting how when you come out on the other side of it you're just trying to play catch up with work and, and life. So yesterday was my last day that I took off of work and I was kind of testing the waters of if I felt well enough to return. It's like I've mentioned, I have a physical day job. And so I was like, well, you know what? Spent half the day resting. And I was like, I'm going to try and clean the house because it was past due. And I vacuumed, I mopped, I changed the bedding, I deep cleaned the bathroom and I was okay. So that's how I know that I am ready to get back in the swing of things. It feels good. I made some brownies as well, which was exciting because baking and cooking has been impossible because I've just been so faint feeling and dizzy. And anyways, I am so happy to be feeling well again. Now, as you can tell by the title of today's episode, I'm going to be talking about my journey so far with OCD and OCD treatment. Now, I am wilding out because usually I do these podcasts with notes that I pre-write to kind of keep me on the rails, keep me on track, and give me ideas of how my flow is going. I have none of that today. I tried to start writing notes and I'm like, man, they're so much I could say that I'd rather just sit down, free flow, and see how my story unfolds. So this might be a little bit all over the place, but bear with me. We're gonna get right into it though. I don't know how, how long this is gonna be, but I definitely wanna start out by saying I am not a professional. I do not work in the mental health field. This is just my personal experience. What I say doesn't mean that my diagnosis and my journey necessarily fits yours if you're experiencing the same thing. I mostly wanted to share about this to 
normalize and educate a little bit on what OCD looks like. I think there's a lot of misrepresentation in the media and as well so that other people can advocate to receive a proper diagnosis and whatever that might look like in your life. You know, I live here in Canada and I think a lot of people from the outside think, oh, Canada, universal healthcare, everything's great. And I think all Canadians can agree at this point that it's not. Our healthcare system is really broken and inefficient. And a lot of people are actually going to America to pay out of pocket and seek private medical treatment because the system here is so wickety wacky. And here as well, mental health care is not covered for the most part. You know, seeing your family doctor and getting a prescription for maybe an SSRI might be covered by your benefits, but our pharmaceuticals, we pay out of pocket. I don't have insurance. And the accessibility is really, really rough. But I, I want to start out with like the beginning, the background of where I've been with what I thought was anxiety up until this past fall through, through my whole life and a, a very brief overview of what that's looked like for me. And once I get into my OCD assessment, then I'll talk a little bit more about these symptoms that I ignored during you know, the first 27 years of my life and how those should have been kind of warning signs of OCD, both in childhood and adulthood. It's interesting because I've always been an anxious kid and I, I am a child of divorce, which it has been normal for me. My parents have been divorced since I was born pretty much. So I've never known any different, but I have had that impact of having a, a primary parent that I feel very comfortable and safe with and going to, you know, my dad's every other weekend, which was far away and I didn't feel super comfortable with, elicited a lot of strong emotion. I'm not putting any blame on my mom anyhow, but I think that there were some early signs of um, being unwell that maybe got swept under the rug because back in the 90s, we weren't as aware of mental health and especially mental health in kids, but also I think it was written off as like, oh, well, she's just emotional because she is dealing with a lot of change in environment. I've always been a, just a super sensitive kid. I guess I'll kind of get into some of the things that, again, they, these are things that can be quote unquote normal in people. But for me, I can now recognize the signs of OCD where I was really, really close with my mom. She was my safe person. And I thought any time that she was leaving the house that like she was going to die on her way home. Something horrible was always going to happen um, unless I did something. And for me, numbers and counting was a big thing, which again, at the time, I never vocalized to my mom. So I was like, this is just, this just has to happen of counting to seven, all these interesting rituals and magical thinking, which I'll get to when I talk about my assessment. But I've just always been an emotional kid. I cry a lot. I was very shy and quiet. And as I got older, it started to translate into anxiety. So my first diagnosis per se was in ninth grade uh, when I talked to my doctor and he referred me out and they were like, you, it's just social anxiety. You're transitioning into high school. You got big feelings. It's just social anxiety. Sent me to a social worker who was like, actually, you know what? I think this is a little, a little bit more than that, a little bit outside of my wheelhouse. So I'm going to refer you to a psychologist. And that is where things got interesting. So my high school years are really blurry still. And I don't know where my emetophobia stemmed from, but enter emetophobia. And I, I just remember a correlation of when I went to see this psychologist, which my mom, you know, had to drive me into the big city where I live now from my small town to see someone trained and educated in like children's psychology. But somewhere along this way between ninth and 10th grade, 
I developed at the time what I thought was just a metaphobia. And I don't want to say just because it is extremely debilitating. And I'm going to talk about what that is and what that looks like now, because I'm very vague about it online, because there is still a lot of shame I'm unpacking with my uh, treatment and OCD journey. But emetophobia is basically a, a phobia and severe uh, avoidance of, of throwing up. And in some people that manifests in a phobia of themselves, getting sick. And for others like me, it manifests in other people getting sick. I'm going to be talking about emetophobia for a little bit throughout this whole episode, really. So if that's something you don't want to hear about, I'm not going to be talking about people getting sick in graphic detail. I'm going to be talking about how that affected me and still affects me because that's a really, really big part of my OCD. Those are my earliest memories of it. I've had, I'm, again, I'm not going to go into detail. I've had incidences with getting sick and others getting sick in elementary school and childhood that are not bothersome at all in my psyche. But somewhere around high school, things just started to click. So for me, I didn't know there was a term called emetophobia until I met this psychologist where I was really embarrassed. And he was the first person I started to say, you know, I have these really debilitating fears about people getting sick around me that make me not want to go to school because I missed like almost a whole semester of school once in high school because my emetophobia was so bad. And I, I think that's where they kind of got it mislabeled as social anxiety being like, oh, you just don't want to go around people. Like, yeah, but I don't want to go around people because I'm scared they're going to throw up and horrible things are going to happen to me. Not because I, I'm just like socially awkward. And I remember this therapist said, you know, oh, that's actually called emetophobia and it's a lot more common than you'd think. And that was the first time that I felt really seen for what I was feeling and experiencing. And it was very validating. So anyways, you know, cue a short journey with this psychologist who was like a, just an old white man, like just an old white man in the weird clinical feeling psychology office. And we did, you know, psychology sessions, CBT and clinical hypnotherapy, which was interesting and didn't work um, because we now know it was, it's OCD based um, and, CBT and OCD, in my opinion, from my research and the professionals I talk to, don't mix well. So this is actually the start of how my, I don't love the word mental illness, but like mental health conditions have been mistreated in a detrimental way to my condition for, from an early age. We'll get into more about OCD later, but with when it comes to, you know, putting it in the anxiety category, the way that a lot of people treat that is self-soothing or coping mechanisms, right? Like breathing mechanism, comfort techniques, being a kid of things that'll make you feel better, avoiding situations that'll make you feel bad. And anyone with OCD that's listening is probably like, oh God. Because when it comes to OCD, one of the big compulsions that we do is avoidance. And when you are feeding into those compulsions of avoiding things, you're actually feeding the OCD beast and you're making it worse. So I started out from the get-go with my dream of attacking this the wrong way. And that's to nobody's fault except for the system just not being as great as it could be. And at this point too, OCD never even crossed my mind. It didn't cross my mind until about a year ago. Because as a kid, all I knew about OCD was that in the media, it was used in a way of being really organized or hyper cleaning. And I would instantly think like Monica from Friends. And o OCD is not that at all. And it's now, I'm, I feel very hypersensitive to it now that I know how 
debilitating it is um, to, to see it misrepresented. Even I just read a book the other day that was written by like a forensic artist in the FBI who made a snide remark about her OCD-ness in the book. And I was like, instantly going from five stars to four stars because it really, it triggers me. But anywho, so started seeing this psychologist, saw him for, I don't know, maybe five months. I'd do this thing where I'd be like, yeah, I guess it's helping to my mom because I'm like, it's it's not really, but like, what else am I supposed to say? Like, I just felt really broken. At this point, now that I had a name to go with it, I was understanding things a lot better. I definitely do deal with anxiety in general. Now I know it stems from my OCD. At the time, I didn't know that. And then I just knew I had this really debilitating emetophobia. So back to the emetophobia bit. And if you haven't grabbed a cup of tea or something at this point, this is going to be a long episode because I see we're already like 11 minutes in and I'm just getting started. So get cozy, get comfy. And if you happen to be new this episode, hi, hello, this isn't the usual pacing of this podcast. It's usually a lot more laid back, but this episode has been a long time in the making. So anyways, with my emetophobia in these high school years, how that was looking was a lot of avoidant. And again, I can't tell you where this stemmed from because I'm still working through that in therapy. But by this point, this is how OCD was manifesting. And I was worried at all times. Like I am, I am telling you, even now it's it's less, but throughout the past decade of my life, I am thinking and worried about somebody getting sick around me at least 10 times a minute is constant. And this is where, again, anyone with OCD is like, oh yeah, that's OCD. But at the time, Nobody was bridging this connection. And I think I probably also wasn't being honest enough because I was embarrassed and confused as to why I am the way that I am. So I was not going to anywhere where anyone was drinking for the most part. And if I did, I was having to drink a lot myself to feel comfortable with the possibilities of what could happen. I can only think of two times in pretty much my whole life that... I have attempted that then just reverted back to avoidance. Fairs, nope. I won't even go to movie theaters still, which is something I am determined to tackle in the next year uh, because sometime in high school, I went with my best friend to see one of the Jurassic Park movies and a little kid threw up in the movie theater and we ran out and I had a panic attack in the parking lot and cried and the movie hadn't even started yet. It was the commercials and we left. Things like that, where now I am avoidant of so many places and school started to become a trigger for that as well. And I I really kind of want to hone in on just how debilitating this was. Again, it's not just like, oh, avoiding places. I couldn't watch TV and movies without constantly being on edge. Is there going to be a drinking scene? Is there going to be a hospital scene where someone might throw up? Because I had to leave. I was not I was not about to watch that. And if someone did get sick, I would go into a full panic attack and be replaying that in my head for weeks on end, having panic attacks, not able to sleep. And this is something that is constantly in my head. Ruminations, that's the word I was trying to remember. Anyhow, so, you know, fast forward to dealing with this, trying so many different therapists, being like, okay, I guess this is just part of who I am. I'm just an anxious person with a random fear of vomit. So, you know, fast forward to, I guess, the last few years, about five years ago, around when COVID kind of, you know, was in its prime, if you will, uh, something happened that I'm not going to get into that really reinvigorated my emetophobia. 
And I'm sure you can think of a situation, it was in a hospital, where this might have happened. Since then, life has been really, really hard. And with that coinciding with the whole like COVID era of time, we were already like, you know, self-isolating, having lockdowns. So I was really pushed into that avoidant and restrictive mindset anyways and feeding into it being like, well, it's okay that I don't talk to people or go out or leave my house, it was, which was really, again, in hindsight, not good. But at the time, I'm like, every therapist ever has been telling me all these coping mechanisms and talk therapy and all these things and like validating almost my concerns and fears, which again, with OCD is like really not what you want to do if you want to feel better and live a manageable life. We'll get into. So cue up, I guess. And again, I'm really grazing over this. There has been PTSD treatments and other unrelated to the OCD things that have gone on in my life, as many people do. We all have our own traumas that I've worked through. And there's always kind of just been other things where somehow no one had ever said, maybe this is OCD. So cue to about a year ago, a client of mine in my day job actually had opened up about her journey with recently having sought treatment, uh, doing exposure response prevention therapy for her OCD and how she had recently been diagnosed. And it clicked a lot of buttons of being like, wow, this all makes a lot of sense. I remember listening and being like, wow, this is really interesting. And it wasn't, I wasn't quite at the time, like, this sounds like me, but it was just really interesting because I had never heard of ERP therapy before. I didn't know much about OCD. She opened up to me in some of the ways that that manifests in her life and all this, the different ways that OCD can manifest. So that kind of planted a seed in my brain. And now when it comes to my metaphobia, again, it is so extremely debilitating. Everyone in my life is like, you need to get help. And I'm like, I've tried, nothing helps. Even to the point where I, at, the, at that time, wouldn't even Google the word emetophobia because I was so scared and avoidant of what if a picture comes up when I Google that? Because I'm Googling the fear of vomiting. What if a picture of someone vomiting comes up? This is how bad, even a cartoon would send me off the rails. So this past fall, things were feeling really bad about, I guess two years ago, I'd finally called my doctor and I was like, I think we need to talk about medication. I have always denied medication for depression or anxiety because I'm scared of the side effects of it making you fucking nauseous. The emetophobia just comes in absolutely everywhere. And I also have realized that I can't remember the title for it, but I have like health related. OCD as well. We're like, I don't want to take anything. I think everything is going to kill me. I think I'm going to have every side effect possible. And I convince myself that I have and start feeling symptoms, even if I don't have something. Anywho, about two years ago, my doctor prescribed me, I don't know how to say it, escitalopram, some SSRI. I got it filled. It's still sitting in my medicine cabinet, never took it. I was like, I don't, I don't have time to deal with feeling nauseous because while that's not my main trigger for emetophobia, it's other people getting sick. I still do have a lot of fear and uncomfortability around that as well. In a beyond just normal way. Nobody likes being nauseous, which is what makes emetophobia a really weird one to talk about because everyone's like, well, I don't like that either. And I'm like, no, but you don't understand. I will subsequently not leave my house for three months if I've, if I've even potentially known someone in the vicinity of me has thrown up. So anyhow, that was like the most recent time I had talked to my doctor about my mental health. This past fall in about September, 
I went in for a pap smear actually. And my doctor was like, you know what? It's been a it's been a while since we talked. Like, how's the mental health doing? Started crying. I was like, you know what? It is really not good. It was right after I had had a really bad flare-up of what I now know is some health-related OCD. And I just told him everything and he said something and said, you know, and I, I really am grateful for my family doctor. I adore him and I adore his morals and values and ability for him to have said, you know what, I think maybe we've actually had this wrong the entire time. He said, have you heard about OCD? He's like, I've, I've done a little bit of looking into this and there's a really heavy correlation between emetophobia and OCD. And I said, I only know what my one like client in my life who was OCD has shared with me, but I, I can see how some of this would make sense. But one of the other interesting parts of OCD is you gaslight the heck out of yourself into convincing yourself, well, I don't have OCD. Not in a way of like, I don't want to have it, just in a, in like a weird faking way of being like, well, like I, it's probably not this. I can't remember the words for it because I'm still so new to the OCD world, but you put this doubt in yourself where you're like, well, what if I'm faking it? It's all very exhausting and strange. So anyways, my doctor said that and he said, I really think regardless of what you think this is, he said, there's a therapy called ERP. It's hard. It's, it's usually a last resort where people are finally ready to try it if they're really struggling. And he said, I think you should just just consider it. I went home and immediately Googled it. I was like, you know what? You are so right. My parents have been so worried about me. My partner had been so worried about me. His thoughts are ever consuming my days. It's exhausting living inside my head. And I said, I, I don't care at this point. I don't care if it's gonna make things worse because I realized it can't, like it physically can't get worse. I think sometimes it takes with OCD getting to that point where you're like, I can't do this anymore where you're willing to do the hard shit. So I went home and a lot of people asked me like, how'd you find your therapist? I literally Googled OCD ERP therapy, Ontario. And I seek treatment through OCD North. That is the name of the clinic that I see online. I believe they're based in Barrie, Ontario, which is not where I live, but they offer services virtually as well to most of the provinces. I'm not sure like, I don't know how that works legally. I'm sure it's some regulation with social workers because I believe it's all social workers that provide therapy there. But I read everything on their website. I was like, okay, yep. I had texted a friend who I remember I had seen her post something about seeking OCD treatment. And I was like, hey, like, did you try ERP? And she was like, yeah, I went to OCD North. And I said, perfect. That's where I'm going to set a consult up with. I literally just went on read everybody's bios, noted who was putting their pronouns in their bios, because I'm like, okay, that's probably like the safer type of person I'm gonna vibe with. Anyhow, because you know, when you're picking a therapist, you wanna be like values, morals, politically for me, like on the same side of things so that when you say things, you feel safe and comfortable with them. So I just did my bio reading, picked the person who I thought would probably make me feel the safest and set up a free 15 minute consult with her. And let me tell you, I was like sweating and crying even thinking about this consult because I was like, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. I knew I had to, but it's such an avoidance of OCD, of things that are going to trigger you that even the thought of talking about seeking treatment, I was like, I don't want to fucking do it, but I did it. And I talked to her on the phone for 15 minutes, explained briefly what was going on. And she was like, this absolutely sounds like something I could help you with. I was very emotional. 
after the consult and we booked for the next week and you know she explained things which I'll talk about in a second for what this treatment looks like but it was just very emotionally validating for the first time in my life at 27 to feel like a therapist understands what I'm going through because every other time I've seeked a medical professional or a therapist I've had to try and explain to them and make sense to them of how I'm thinking and she was able to instantly tell me things about why my brain is the way it is that I have never even realized. And she was like, the OCD is going to try and put doubts into your head that this isn't what it is. And this is part of the reason that we know it's OCD. And I was like, this is literally life-changing and mind-blowing and so just interesting. We'll get into. So my console basically looked like laying out the plan for what this is going to look like. At the time, I'm still like, I don't really know what ERP is. I don't really know what OCD is. I know this is going to be expensive and it's going to be really hard. And she was like, ERP is the gold standard treatment for OCD and emetophobia. Not everyone's emetophobia is rooted in OCD. And she said, it is hard work. It is best done weekly because if you try and do this on your own, you can trigger yourself and make things worse. It needs to be kept up with frequently so you don't revert back into old habits. And it said on their website too, most people need weekly treatment for 15 to 20 weeks and then dropping down to every other week, every three weeks, etc. Now keep in mind, ERP is a specialized form of therapy. And again, here in Canada, therapy is not covered under healthcare and I don't have benefits. And we were looking at $225 for a 50 minute session every week for 20 weeks. You can do the math there. But I'm at a point where since my dog passed away, I'm like, okay, well, I don't have that to be budgeting for anymore. And I guess I'm going to pour everything I've got into trying to feel better because I cannot continue to live the way that I am. Again, I'm not trying to get dark here, but it it is a very dark and difficult condition and very debilitating to live with. And I said, I'm so game if you're game. And she was like, hell yeah, let's fucking do it. It's funny because I say that she, we literally talk to each other that way. This is why I love her. Oh, she explained to me, you know, okay, we're gonna set up our first appointment for next week. So the first two to three appointments are gonna all be assessment. It's gonna be, I can't remember what the scale is called, but using this regularized, I guess, scale to get a good point of where I'm at starting, where my triggers lie, what types of OCD seem to be eliciting within me. And then we go into making our plan of exposure. At this point, I'm terrified, but I'm excited. And it's funny because I went to fill out the health history forms after before the first appointment. And there's a question that says that, like, are you aware that ERP is very difficult and requires a lot of, I can't remember the wording, but application of yourself, essentially. And the buttons were, no, I'm not ready. Yes, I'm ready or I'm afraid, but I'm gonna do it anyways. And I'm like, every one of us must be clicking that third option. It is absolutely terrifying. And it's interesting because I have a lot of followers, I'm surprised, who also have a metaphobia that respond to my stories every now and then and say like, oh my God, I would never be able to, I can't even imagine. And sometimes to me that does come across as undermining my feelings as well, because I'm like, listen, I never thought that I could too. It takes getting to rock bottom to be like, I have to do this. Sometimes it almost triggers me making me feel like, do I need to prove that like, I also thought I could never do this? And it's, that's a whole other thing. Like that's like probably just not what to say to someone, you know, you can tell someone that you're proud of them and they're doing hard shit without being like, I could never do this. Anyways, getting a little triggered here, but regardless, there's a lot of people who look at it as, look at it as impossible and it feels impossible and I want to get across how fucking hard exposure therapy is and again this isn't just for emetophobia this is for any type of OCD 
And you can look up the different types of OCD. There is things like contamination OCD, harm OCD, relationship OCD, existential OCD. ERP therapy is the gold standard no matter what. And I'm not gonna do a great job of describing ERP therapy because my first sessions with my therapist are a blur of when she described this and even described OCD to me the other day. She was like, okay, let's remember the principles of OCD here. And I was like, girl, I don't know. I don't remember any of this. But essentially, ERP therapy is retraining your response to these triggers. It's seeing an exposure, doing an exposure, whatever that exposure might look like, which I will talk about my exposure tier list in a moment and doing it and sitting with it. And one of two things happens. You either habituate to it and your response starts to change, which is what we hope for, or you just have to learn to tolerate the discomfort whatever that might look like and learn to tolerate the panic and teach your brain in that response that you can handle it. Doing all this without your compulsions can look like rituals, avoidance, reassurance. None of that is allowed for OCD rehabilitation because you don't want to be feeding the demon. So that's basically what ERP therapy looks like. It's doing the hard shit that triggers you until it doesn't trigger you anymore. And I know a lot of people think, and I used to think like, that's just going to make it worse. That's going to make it worse. That's why working with a licensed professional is really important during this. And I would not have been able to do this on my own. And that is where often it can make things worse if you're trying to do it on your own. It's hard. It's not fair. It's expensive. I, I understand that part. And I'm really grateful to be in a place in my life where I can finally seek this treatment. Anyways, we do my assessment and this is where really interesting stuff starts coming up. Because I'm like, I still don't really know what OCD is. And that's something I still feel I have so much learning to do. And that's why I was like, am I even ready to do this podcast yet? But you know what? I'm never going to feel ready because that OCD demon in my head is going to constantly try and gaslight me. You can try and look into it yourself. For me, the way that my OCD manifests, it is a little fucking gremlin in my head. And it's interesting because with a lot of mental health conditions, it's learning how to live with it. And that's how every professional had treated my mental health before, right? learning to soothe and cope with the quote unquote anxiety. With OCD, we do not want to learn to live with it. We need to banish that bitch to the attic. We need to push through it, not listen to it, not reassure it, not let it control our lives, which is what makes ERP treatment a very vastly different and interesting than every other traditional form of therapy. This is also why I picked a therapist who has OCD herself and like, I don't feel I don't like the word crazy, but I, I don't feel crazy for the first time talking to her. She's like, yep, that's OCD. She'll say things to me and I'm like, literally, I literally said to her, I'm like, what is this voodoo? She's like, it's almost like I have OCD too. And I was like, damn, you got me there. It's, it's so validating. But anyhow, during those first assessments, there were so many things she said where I was like, oh my God, yeah. And you can look up like OCD assessment uh, quizzes or tools, whatever. If you're curious, again, self-diagnosing isn't it because I self-diagnosed myself with anxiety as well as professionals for so long and that wasn't it. There's so many things that just get misdiagnosed. However, if you feel like your current diagnosis isn't right, I think there is something to be said in advocating for a proper diagnosis because this has changed my whole fucking life, like whole life, which I will get to. God, this is going to be such a long one. So, we did a couple of sessions of assessment, got a baseline. She got me thinking about things that I have never thought about. One of the really interesting things to me was how this showed up in childhood and magical thinking is one of the big ones. And it's interesting because 
I've learned that I still do this with my current OCD. And she was like, you know what? We don't see this a ton in adults, but, but it's definitely part of OCD for some people that they don't grow out of. So like I said, for me, it's the rituals that that shows up in. And as a kid, it would be like, okay, uh, my mom is going out to her work party tonight. I'm home alone with the babysitter. If I don't do X, Y, and Z this many times and do this by this time, she's going to die in a tragic accident on the way home and it's going to be all my fault. Thinking if I sit and stand up from my movie theater seat seven times, everything will be okay. No rhyme or reason, just the way it goes. And I, while it doesn't show up that same way for me now, there are things that have come up that are that magical thinking where we'll watch something. She's like, so why are, like, and I'll say, I'm just scared. I'm going to be ruminating about this all night. She's like, why do you think that is? And I said, because now that I've watched it, it's going to happen. She's like, no, that's, that's not how it works. And I was like, it is for me. And I have told her things, which again, I used to be very embarrassed to talk about these things. It's very normalized to me now and I'm fine sharing it. When my partner and I started dating a few years ago on like our first sleepover, I guess, when he came to my house, cause we were long distance. We got COVID, <laughs> it's quite a way to get together. I, I hadn't shared with him my mental health struggles yet. It was our first weekend together. And he was, he was vomiting from the COVID. And this is, this is my house. This is my safe space. And this deeply has triggered me. And until the last like month, I have asked him every single day how his stomach is and how he's feeling. Even though he told me like, I never throw up. I've thrown up like four times in my life. Like that was one of the very few times, but because it happened once, I think it's going to happen every single day and let it control my entire day. Anyhow, regardless, we'll get more to that. But it's interesting because he has this yellow pair of boxers that I constantly want to throw out and hate because I'm like, those are the boxers you wore when you were sick. And I think every time you wear them that you're going to throw up again. And I told my therapist this too. And she's like, that's the magical thinking. That's not, we know logically this isn't how that works. And he was like, I don't even remember what boxers I wore that day. And I said, well, I sure as shit do. That's the OCD. It's interesting. You're thinking that if you even think about something, that you're manifesting that into reality and not in a good way. And this is why I am very triggered by self-help books. And I could do a whole podcast about that and spirituality. I think manifestation for people with OCD, the concept of it, even for good, is terribly terribly dangerous because for me that comes in in a negative way hard anyways so you know learning things like that and i'm not gonna fully go into like everything that is you know my ocd and how it represents i i learned a lot i learned how erp therapy was gonna help so a lot of a lot of people are curious like what has ERP therapy looked like for you? And again, this is extremely specific to me. I've talked to other people on my Instagram who have done ERP therapy, who have been incredibly helpful in this sharing what it's looked like for them because I, I had no one, I knew no one except my one client who did this. And it was really scary and it's been really, really helpful to talk to a community of other people with OCD who have done ERP therapy to make it less scary for me to be like, okay, other people have done this. Other people have done stuff that isn't applicable to me, but probably sounds just as odd to someone without OCD as me trying to explain why watching videos of TV show people vomiting is therapeutic for me and incredibly triggering and difficult. So with ERP therapy, we build a tier list. So imagine a pyramid, imagine our food pyramid, but we use this for triggers. And my therapist basically said, you know, we start at the bottom with the least triggering things, but things that are going to trigger this OCD and this emetophobia, and we work our way up to the hardest things. So we did, you know, our background, some stories of 
things that have made things worse for me. He said, let's just, let's just brainstorm. I'm going to share with y'all what my pyramid looked like. And again, this is personally for me, this looks so wildly different and needs to be specific to everyone with OCD and how it manifests in their life to make it an effective treatment. So for me, our first week together, we just looked at static images of cartoons and um, stock images, stock image cartoons of people looking nauseated, not even vomiting. So that was kind of bottom of the tier list was cartoon vomiting. And then it was videos, TV, right? TV cartoons, kids cartoons of cartoons vomiting on mute. And then the cartoons vomiting with sound. And then what did we do next? All a bit of a blur already. It meshes together. We did imaginals at some point, which is a really big part of ERP for OCD and works well in most types. But an imaginal is where you write a story of the worst case scenario. Because again, a big part of OCD is learning to sit with the discomfort and not reassuring yourself. So it's doing what if and writing your worst case scenario, because a lot of OCD is not trusting yourself and you need to learn to trust yourself that you can deal with whatever is going to be thrown at you. So for me, it was writing a story about my partner getting, coming home from work at the time where he was working with, I don't even remember what it was, either food poisoning or like norovirus or something. And in graphic detail, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into the specifics, writing absolutely everything that could go wrong and not being like, and then he stopped and we went to bed and everything was okay. No, it's like, and then he projectile vomited in the night and couldn't like make it to the bat, like just everything. And then I was tired and couldn't work the next day. Like what ifing yourself until you can't anymore. And then sitting with that and then reading it over and over. And I should say as well, when we started, which I'll go back to with the looking at characters vomiting, it literally looked like me on a Zoom call for an hour with my therapist, just looking for an hour, staring at my screen and wait and just sitting with the discomfort of looking at these pictures. It seems silly. It seems probably easy to people that don't have OCD. Incredibly hard. So with the imaginals, you write it and you read it over and over. I read that story over and over for 20 minutes on Zoom with my therapist. And we've done different ones since as well with my health anxiety of, okay, so, so yeah, you get cancer. You get a horrible cancer. You get treatments. It's terminal. You die. Then what? Going into like existential. It's, it's very interesting. And again, best done with a licensed professional. Um, because otherwise you can just overwhelm and trigger yourself. But imaginals are a big part and a big theme that we often revisit. And weirdly, they do make things better because as you write them, things come up, buttons click where you're like, oh, that's the fear. That's what I'm worried about happening. Why? Learned that a very tiny part of this is like, well, would I even know how to clean it up? Of course you do. Of course you do, but it's that lack of trust in yourself and the fear of the unknown and not being able to control things. So anyways, we set up my tier list and then the big part of the pyramid, the top part, the really scary things, there was kind of a jump from things that I was like, I can tolerate, it's gonna be horrible. And then like things that are like unimaginable, which was videos of people even just coughing. Coughing's a big trigger for me. If I'm out in like Value Village and hear someone cough, I think they're about to hurl, I get the fuck out of there. So listening to videos of people coughing, listening to gagging sounds, watching TV clips on mute of people vomiting or movie clips, watching those with sound, watching videos on mute of real people throwing up and at the top videos with sound of real people throwing up and then environmental things. So like the fact that I need to be pretty much dying to go back to a hospital, an emergency room at this point after the episode that I have. So eventually sitting with my therapist on Zoom, 
outside of a hospital. Putting yourself into every situation that you avoid and that OCD tries to control. Anyways, as I'm recording this, we are at the point of watching real human videos of people vomiting with sound on, which is absolutely crazy and I'm so proud of myself and never in a million years did I think I would get here and I know this sounds bananas to people without OCD or even if you don't understand how OCD works if you know me IRL you know how huge this is and it's taken I think I think it's probably been close to 20 weeks it's been about four months how many weeks is that I don't know um that I've been doing weekly therapy and doing homework every single day this is an every single day piece of my life where when we started out with pictures of cartoons vomiting, I had a full panic attack. Now I'm like, I can look at those pictures, no problem. I can eat my dinner while looking at these pictures because I've done the fucking hard work. And every day for 20 minutes between my weekly sessions, I do my homework. So that first session, when we looked at those pictures of cartoons vomiting, I couldn't even scroll on Google. I was like, you have to pick one picture and I can just look at that one picture for an hour because I can't do this. It was so hard. And again, this looks different. I've had people say, yeah, for me, it was touching a wet sponge, pressing a wet sponge over and over and over. Like it sounds silly to people who don't get it. And that's okay. It's, it's hard work. And just know anyone in your life is doing ERP. They probably need a hug because they are going through it. It's hard, hard shit, but it, it works. And I feel like I needed to make this episode to tell people that it works because I, was so skeptical and at points it's made things worse. I will not lie. But you learn to get through that and you learn like, I can do this or by day three, it's getting a lot easier. It's wild. It's so fucking crazy. So interesting. And I can't believe that for almost three decades, I didn't even know what ERP therapy was. We did those first quote unquote easy weeks that were hard for me. I can vividly remember one of the big panicky ones was looking at pictures, just static images of real people throwing up was one of the really hard ones for me. And even everything up until then had been really hard at the time, but you habituate, you get used to it. And then it's almost like dread of like, oh God, but what's the next big thing that's going to trigger me? And I remember getting to those pictures of real people throwing up and just sobbing on Zoom. And my therapist, you know, exited out was like, let's talk this through what's going on. And big, big things came up that I'm not going to share on here. Uh, but it's interesting how different it is to get triggered in a safe and controlled environment with a professional than out in the wild, if you will. That was a big turning point one for me. And that was, gosh, probably back in the end of November. Now that that week of homework occurred, and some of these weeks we'll do homework for two weeks. We'll do the same fucking thing every day for weeks. So we were just climbing that ladder climbing our ladder of homework and triggers. And I'm like, I feel like I'm breezing over it at this point. And it's, it's been so hard. And any of my friends who have been messaging every week about like, oh, this is what I'm doing with, you know, videos of TV characters vomiting today. And this is how it's going. And it it's, it's been a lot. There's been so many tears and so much self-awareness in my day of what's triggering me and writing it down so I can talk to my therapist about it. Like I said, the past month, the past like three weeks, I was sick last week, so I missed therapy. We've been doing like pretty much the top of my tier list aside from situational exposures, which you, you can't really control with my specific triggers, but we've been doing the videos of real people throwing up and I've been terrified to add sound. And 
I've only done four different videos from this website, which if you have a metaphobia, emetophobia.net, I believe it is, is incredible for if you're doing therapy and you need resources, they have a page of videos with descriptions so you know what to expect. That's what I've been using. I think I've only done four videos with sound and my therapist keeps saying, stop saying only because you're doing the hard thing. Don't undermine your success. But I've done minimal videos with sound, but the fact that I've even been willing to do that and I didn't die. My therapist keeps being like, okay, you did it. It was hard, but like, you're still here. Nothing bad happened. Retraining your brain to realize that you can do the hard things. Feel the fear and do it anyways. It's like the motto in OCD world. You have to, because otherwise you're making your OCD worse. Oh, it's so interesting. Anyways, so we've been doing, we've been doing the hard stuff and it's been hard and it's really interesting. And I'm sure other people with OCD have experienced this, but about five or six weeks ago, I think it was after that turning point of like the real people vomiting pictures, my OCD started manifesting in new ways. And I was really anxious because I came onto therapy and I was like, so I think that all food is going to poison me now. I'm like, I know I washed that apple, but my brain's like, you need to wash it three more times or it's going to make you sick. Or you can't eat that leftover sushi, even though you know it's just rice and avocado and you've done this your whole life. Suddenly, I now thought it was going to give me food poisoning or a foodborne illness and I'm going to end up in the hospital and have some rare disease and die. And my therapist was like, this is great news. And I'm like, what on actual earth are you talking about? And she was like, no, your OCD is grasping at straws. We're successfully banishing it from the way it's manifested for your whole life. We're silencing it and it is holding on. It's grabbing onto new ways to try and control your life. And she's like, the good news is these new ways are a lot easier to stop in their tracks because it hasn't had time to form as a habit. So then attacking that. And, you know, we've had other weeks where we haven't done vomiting stuff and we've done imaginals on, like I said, okay, so I get a rare foodborne illness or like disease of some sorts from food. Okay, we write what if, worst case scenario, what's going to happen? I go on TikTok and I watch videos from microbiologists about foodborne illness and be like, okay, yeah, I might get that. Okay, scrolling, moving on, not looking at comments. For me, I didn't even think about this. She was like, don't look at the comments because you're seeking validation from other people, whether they say, yeah, that's going to make you sick or no, it's not. You have to sit with the discomfort of, well, it might, but I trust myself to know what's safe to eat and what's not. Eat it anyways, as long as, again, within reason. She's like, you and you know when you have OCD, even though you think you don't, you know when to trust yourself and when not to, and you need to learn to do that. Anyways, so that's been like a side quest that's been really strange to tackle. And I, I'm very lucky I've never struggled with eating disorders or any any like food um, or big body image uh, issues, if you will. So this hasn't been triggering for other ways for me, but it has been concerning because I'm like, I don't want to develop an eating disorder or something like, I can't handle that. And she's like, you're going to be fine. You're going to be so fine. And she's right. It's been about, like I said, over a month that I've been implementing my OCD habits with that as well in not giving in and being like, yeah, okay, I might. What if? So what? Which is often the voice we need to talk back to our OCD with rather than seeking that reassurance. And I feel like I'm at a good place again with food. So I know this has been a lot and I've, I've got a long way to go. I, I guess uh, like, where am I now? How, how have things changed for me now? My quality of life has drastically improved. And while certain things haven't changed yet, like the fact that 
if my partner comes home saying his stomach doesn't feel good, I'm going to feel the exact same amount of panic around that because that's a different situational thing. Like I said, are the harder ones that we're going to be working on last. I can watch a show and I'm not worried. I used to hold my finger over the mute or pause button. I fast forward through scenes with drinking in hospitals. I, it doesn't, I mean, it, it crosses my mind in the sense of OCD being like floating by on a raft being like, bitch, someone might throw up. And I'm like, okay, bring it on. Like, so what? I've watched videos for like 20 hours now of people in TV shows throwing up. Knowing that you can handle it really is what it comes down to. So that, I know it might sound small, but it's huge. I'm not just re-watching safe shows that I know are safe. I'm able to, if I want to, watch a new movie, which again, I understand it sounds small. It's so big for me. My partner and I were watching, like, I can't remember, it was a skating TV show on Netflix and some girl like got sick in the bathroom or whatever in it. And he looked at me and he was like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm doing great. And he's like, you just, you just watched someone throw up on TV. And I was like, yeah, I sure as shit did. And he's been really great and really supportive. And it, it's interesting though, because living with someone and anyone else with OCD who lives with someone, you know, it's, it's important to have your partner talk to the therapist too. My partner had to understand that when I asked him, are you feeling okay? That he needs to start saying, you know what? I don't know. And not giving into my reassurance, which can be hard on a partner as well, right? When we're constantly seeking reassurance from people, we need to learn to not give in to that. Anyways, in other ways, I'm leaving the house more now too. I went and did an event at the Children's Museum a few weeks ago and not once was I stopped by the thought of like, oh, well, what if a kid vomits? Kids are gross, kids vomit. Kids used to be a huge trigger for me. I'm good. I can watch kids vomit all day. That's no longer a trigger for me. It's wild. Like so exciting. I know this probably doesn't sound that exciting, but this OCD has controlled my life for so long. And while it still is, it's not nearly as bad. I don't think about people vomiting all the time. Until I went to film this, I did not wake up immediately thinking about people vomiting for the first time in my whole life, essentially, that I can remember. Things are, things are really good. Even when my, my partner used to, if he'd cough, if he'd cough from down the hall when I'm watching TV, he's on his computer playing games, I would shout, are you okay? Are you good? Not in a sense of being like, are you choking? In a reassurance sense of, is he about to vomit? Just from a cough, because he swallowed his coffee wrong or something. I don't do that anymore. He coughs and I'm like, he'll let me know if something's wrong. And I don't want to get emotional right now. It's just really big. It's really big. Rewiring the brain, banishing that OCD gremlin, up to the attic and it, it's just, it's really cool. It has given me a lot of hope. And I know my therapist said, this is a lifelong journey. You're gonna be doing ERP homework, even if it's just once a week for the rest of your life. And that's gonna help you feel good. It's kind of like taking medication. I decided right now medication's not for me. I need to learn to live with this. Some people need medication while they do ERP therapy and for, for life to be able to do that therapy. Maybe that'll be me one day that's okay. Right now I kind of have accepted my homework as my medicine. I treat it as medicine that I know it's going to help me be able to live a more fulfilling life and feel mentally well. And that's what I need to do. So I've still got lots to work on, as you can tell. And this week, because I wasn't feeling well, my therapist literally kicked me off soon. She was like, girl, I'm not going to charge you if you're sick for canceling. Like it's not healthy to do therapy when you're not all mentally there. She's like, I'm putting my foot down. We're not doing this today. 
you're not allowed to even watch videos of people vomiting this week because you've been pushing yourself too hard, rest, relax. So we're, we're taking it easy this week, but for the future of what my ERP looks like for me, it's going to be more of getting habituated to real people throwing up. And the sounds for me, the sounds are the hardest part of, of triggers for me. It's the worst part. So we're at the hardest level that we can do, right? Because it's not like I can go out in public and and put myself in a situation where I know someone's gonna gonna throw, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, that's a tricky one, the situational one. So we do as much as we can in a safe environment. And one of the most interesting things was when we started therapy, I was like, I'm so scared to do all of this. And she was like, I will never make you do something I wouldn't do myself. And that's really important to remember. And she said, I'm never going to make you do something you don't want to do. There might be a week where I'm like, okay, let's try this. And you can say, no, I'm not ready for that. And that's okay. You're in the driver's seat. Therapist is there to push you and try to push you because you need to feel uncomfortable and there's going to be weeks where you don't want to but you got to do it anyways because that's how you don't let OCD win. It's it's incredible. I really really recommend if anyone happens to be listening to this who deals with whether it's OCD, emetophobia, any phobias, really phobias, their gold standard treatment as well is ERP therapy. Finding someone that specializes in it. Again, for me, I don't I've never met my therapist in person. I think she lives in Toronto. I don't live in Toronto. I just know her office from our Zoom calls. I know she has Sufjan Stevens records in the background. And I was like, that's cool. And our first meeting, she complimented my Lord of the Rings poster behind me. And I was like, perfect. Same wavelength. Love this. Yeah, I don't I don't even know how to wrap this up. This has been a long one. And I hope I listen back to this and don't want to delete it and never put it up because I think it's just important to share. And this is me saying like, I don't know how things are going to go in the future and being okay with that. I know I've got a lot of hard shit still to do, but I also know I've done a lot of really hard stuff and I've lived to tell the tale. And that's, that's my story. I'm still new to this. I'm still trying to understand and learn all the ways that OCD has manifested in my life and learn how to actively banish those thoughts on the daily and not give into them and not seek reassurance, not to avoid, to not soothe myself. Be like, okay, so what? What if? So is life. Carry on. It's just really interesting. And I hope if anything, this has just helped other people understand a little bit more like what OCD is, how how weird of a demon it can be and how debilitating it is. I think most people with OCD can attest to saying that whatever way their OCD is manifesting, they are thinking of it at least 10 times a minute from the moment they wake up all day, every day when you're in a flare and it's natural to go into a flare. My therapist said, yeah, we would love to get you to a place of what we call remission where you're able to live a thriving life, but there's going to be periods in life where stressful things happen and OCD comes back loud and mean and angry. And that's when you call me back up and maybe we haven't had a session for five years and you're like, I really need support right now. And to dive back into that ERP homework, it's just understanding things and understanding where to go. And it's, it's anyways, I just hope this has maybe been enlightening to somebody. And if not, I hope you just know me a little bit better because I know my platform online is a lot about talking about a quiet little life and a simple little life. And my simple little life is often very controlled by the loud voices in my head telling me that horrible things are gonna happen at all times. That as much as you might think someone has it together or whatever it might be, we're all going through our own shit. Everyone listening to this has their own shit, probably has their own horrible 
traumas that they've been through, has their own demons with their mental health that they deal with. And we're all just doing our best. And I really, really wish that everyone would be able to seek the adequate treatment that they need for mental health. And unfortunately, I know it's a very small percentage of people that are able to do that. This is the first time in my life that I've been able to do that. There is hope. And that is the number one thing I wish I could tell past me is that things can get better and they will and that you are capable of so much more than you think you are. And that's really important to remember on those really dark days. And you need to be nice to yourself. You need to have compassion with yourself. Oh, so that about wraps it up. My throat is hurting from all this talking. My sinuses are draining from looking down at my microphone. I'm a little scared to put this out there. So if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. I am grateful for you all here. Please be nice to me. I'm very sensitive and my feelings are hurt very easily. This is very vulnerable for me to put out into the world. If you have any other questions, I'm a pretty open book on this whole OCD thing so far. So you can send me a message on Instagram, Vic in the Meadow. My DMs are open there. I'm happy to try and help in any way uh, that I can with what I know, you know, from my experience. Again, I am not a professional, but I'm happy to answer questions about my journey. And okay, next week, we're going to need a lighter topic because this was, this was a doozy. Maybe we'll, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do yet. That's not a problem for me right now to figure out. I need to go take care of myself. I've got about three hours before I have to go to work today. So I'm going to go read a book. I have an advanced reading copy of, I think it's, is it called She's Not Sorry by Mary Kubica? Her new book coming out in April. Probably going to go read that, make a nice little tea with lemon and honey, maybe have a little snack and maybe play some Animal Crossing. I'm really into my Animal Crossing. We'll do an update next week on my low buy year. This week wasn't the week for it. This is a long heckin' episode and I knew it would be. And hopefully in another six months, maybe I can do another update on this to tell you that things are going even better because I'm sure they will be. And that gives me a lot of hope to say, but thank you all for being here. Thank you for everybody that shares that they're listening in their stories, sends it to a friend, leaves me a quick rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I appreciate y'all so much. This podcast at this point still is just a passion project. I don't have the energy to reach out and try and get sponsors anymore. And even when I do, I, I was making about $50 an episode for a few months. I don't make a penny off this anymore. It's just a fun outlet to talk to y'all. It's really my primary outlet now. And I think it's nice to just have connection. I am a podcast person. I love listening to a podcast. feels like I'm hanging out with friends and I like to curate that vibe and bring that vibe to other like-minded people because I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird, wacky world out there. Thank you for being here is my mushy, my mushy outro here. And we will continue with new episodes every Sunday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I will see y'all next Sunday. 